Hey y'all, this is uh, the 8th episode of the Triple Option Report podcast. And uh, it's going to be a big sports episode today. Uh, so let me just go ahead and start off. Uh, NBA Finals, Game 4. Same as, pretty much the same thing that's been happening all series. For the most part, the exception of the fourth quarter in Game 2. Uh... The Heat just don't have the answers. The crazy thing is that Jokic, he didn't have a lot of assists today. He didn't score a lot either. Very, I mean, He's pretty inefficient. Murray was not that good either. He's arguably even worse. Yet, they, that didn't really factor in. Like They had a combined 38 points, and the Denver still won by double figures at Miami. And I've said in the past that Miami's, for a finals team, Practically historically bad at home, playoffs-wise. But even then, like, Aaron Gordon went off. Made three out of four threes. 27 points. Uh, Bruce Brown went off. 21 points. Three out of five threes. Like, they didn't need their two top players to play well. The supporting cast did their their job. And for the Heat, Jerry Butler played good. Bam Adebayo played good again. Kevin Lowe played good. But, you know, Kyle Lowry played good. But, I will say, the one key factor, like I said before, with the Heat, they need three out of their four, at least, of those four players to play good for them to beat the Nuggets or, or challenge for the Nuggets. And that's that's what happened in Game 2. All, practically all four of them played good. And in Game 4, you know, like, Caitlin Martin played pretty solid, played pretty good. Duncan Robinson III played good. Vincent and Schuess were not good at all. Combined two points. Probably their worst, either of their worst games this whole, yeah, I would say their two worst games uh, this series, yet. It, inefficient, they were one of ten from the field overall, and only two points. Like, yeah, the offense... It, you can't, how that offense is ran, it needs at least three of those four guards because of how they constantly move and how it spreads out that offense and spreads out the defense of the opposing team. You need at least three out of four of them to, to, to shoot well just so the defenders can be at their P's and Q's and so the offense is open up more. They couldn't. And so, yeah, even though the Nuggets offensively weren't that good, defensively they are great. And they got two guys who are part of supporting cast to step up. Like, you're not going to beat a team when you're doing that. So, yeah, I, I'm just going to say, I was thinking maybe six. Nah, this game's over on a Monday night to me. And I wouldn't be surprised if Denver wins by double figures. That's just my take on it. Like, yeah, I, I don't see much changing. Like, it's been the same all series. It, it's not changing at all. And, uh... Next thing, next topic, still on sports. The track and field, NCAA Outdoor Championships. They've been happening since Thursday, I believe. And, yeah, they've been great. Again, the indoor was the best one I've ever seen across the board. One of the best track meets I've ever seen across the board. This records breaking left and right. Records tying left and right. It was crazy. And outdoor, it's been pretty close. I mean, not as many records broken up to this point, but still insane. 
It's just really fast. Crazy fast times. The men's 100-meter dash, you know, I would say if you looked at, like, all season, a lot of people's guesses for the winner of the 100 would probably have been Godson Ogunabrume. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, from LSU. He's had the top time up to that point. He's been winning a lot of races. Maybe your favorite Ash. Hope I'm pronouncing that right from Auburn, but you know Udodi Anruzarike from Stanford, he has been the top guy at two hundred, so a lot of people probably think, okay, yeah, maybe he could do that. How fast he's been running in two hundred, maybe he could he could double. Or even like if you're talking about preseason, Michael Williams is probably the main guy that people were thinking about because Again, he's been running fast times for the last two years now. Almost three years. So, yeah, on paper, you would think that Courtney Lindsay, who's been good career-wise, but he exploded at the right time. Terrence Jones who was the main guy that you would think from Texas Tech since he's been running fast times for the last three years, it seems. But no, it's just his teammate, Courtney Lindsay, who made the finals. And ran a 9.89. Surprisingly won. Almost won to 200. He didn't. Came close. Again, though, this one did go exactly how people thought it would. Udodi Anuzarike, like I said before, from Stanford, had been the favorite almost all year. Seeing how fast he's been running, I, I thought a lot of people thought maybe he could break the collegiate record. I've been tough. A nineteen six nine in college is insane. Shout out to Walter Dix, one most one of the most underrated 200 meter sprinters of all time. If you look at his times, he's up there as one of the greats ever. His peak was pretty crazy, but uh, yeah, like just injuries hurt him a little. But like overall, yeah, especially and, and he was a five nine one nine. He wasn't built like a running back doing that at 200. It's crazy. But yeah, back on topic, yeah, like. A lot of people thought maybe he could break his collegiate record. That have been tough. He didn't. But he still ran insanely fast. A 1984. Like almost half the, the, the lineup broke 20 seconds. And as a college final? That's crazy. That's that's really fast. Three men broke 19-9. It was insanely close. But yeah, Courtney Lindsay surprisingly got second place. Like, yeah, like... There's some fast times. Sean Masangrani, I, I, I've seen him since the Olympics. So South Africa, for Houston, he's been special. Terrence Jones, obviously. Robert Gregory's been fast this year. Tarsus Oregat, been fast. Like, it's been a very fast season. It's a, 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 and the men's sprints have been really fast this year, across the board. And, yeah, it's... Uh, it's been in a crazy indoor and outdoor season in Blaze wise. The men's 4x100 was crazy. Like, at first we thought Texas Tech, which it looked like it, like, clear-cut winners, but the baton was qualified. Yeah, it happens. It's happened a lot in, in relays. As a person who watches them a lot, the U.S. men and Jamaican women have been notorious for screwing up in relays in the 4x1 despite being favorites. So, 
you know, I'm used to that. Not surprised, but it's unfortunate. But, you know, they're college kids. It happens. Again, did not finish. I just noticed Georgia. He's a special talent I'm about to talk about. Elijah Godwin. I don't know why they put him in the 4 by one I was, like, I guess they've been doing it for a while, but still. He's made it come up as a quarter miler. I've never even ran it. I, I barely seen one at 200. I know he's a big dude for a quarter mile runner, but he's always just been that. And his style, he just runs hard the entire time. I don't know health-wise if it would have been a good idea to have him on a 4 by one And he got hurt. And... Yeah, he couldn't finish. It, it was, people could think like, you know, he's mainly a quarter mile runner, like I said before, and I was shocked he was still in college because he's been running pro so well for the last two years. I was shocked he's still doing this. But, uh, you know, you never know. Like, again, another guy from that 4 by one team for Georgia, Matthew Bowling, I'm going to say this. I personally think he should do decathlon. I think, I don't, he's not fast enough in 100 or 200 to me personally that he's ever going to really make a big splash professionally. He doesn't have that sub 9-9 level speed, I don't think. And even at 200, as good as he is, he's good enough to make the finals of the men's, of the U.S. men's world championships or Olympic qualifiers. But he's not fast enough to make the team. Is he fast enough to run a 19-6? Cause honestly, you're going to be, have to be that fast to make this U.S. team. Or 19-7. Uh, Fred Curley. Uh, uh, Noel Lyles. Arian Knighton. Uh, Kenny Bednarik. Like, those guys are running insanely fast times. The slowest guy of all of them on paper would be, times-wise, Fred Curley. Which is saying a lot. Since Fred Curley's one of the fastest quarter-mile runners ever. And is the reigning 100-meter world champion. And runner-away favorite in the 100-meter this year in the World Championship. So, yeah. No, you could have to be insanely fast to, to make this team. So, I don't know. Like, I just look at how he performs the long jump and, and, and everything. And I feel like, I don't know. He's an insane athlete. I feel like it would be better fit for him to do the decathlon. I think he'd really be a beast in that. Depends on how good he can be at the throws and how good he can be at the other jumps, like the high jump or the pole vault. But if he's good enough at the long jump as good as he is, I don't know, man. Like, I, I really do feel like he'd be he'd achieve better success in the decathlon because of just how fast he is in 100 and 200. He's not fast enough to make a team, but he's fast enough that he'd put up crazy numbers and times there. Like, he could be a really special talent. I feel like he's being not misused, but you know, I, I feel like that's a, an avenue where he would really benefit more from. But yeah, like the men's side overall had some, again, the men's 110 meter hurdles was pretty tight, really good times there. Men's, uh, if I'm correct, what was it, the hammer throw? But this wasn't yesterday. But still, that was insane too. The, the men's 4x4 uh, four four was crazy too. The men's uh, 800, a surprise winner who. Ran way faster than everyone else. But as crazy as that track and field meet was, wasn't even the craziest. I, I will say, though, you should watch it. Tonight's time, again, for the women, will be on ESPN2 again, just like it was for the men last night. Everyone should watch that. And it'll be on ESPN2 tonight, so yeah. Like, it's right there. It's It's... 
is not on like Peacock or ESPN Plus. I you can watch it for free on TV. So yeah, support track and field. They've had some crazy years this year. It's not a down period. It's just that the U.S. doesn't focus on sports outside of basketball and football like that. So that's all it is. They, those guys deserve your support too. They're putting up crazy times. You're, you're seeing some historic stuff in track and field the last two years. And looking at how good the college is, the future looks bright too. But yeah, like the other meet that was crazy, Paris Diamond League meet. That was an insane meet. Like, there were multiple records broken. The First off, the men's 100... I'm not surprised with Marcel, with Lamont Marcel Jake. Again, like, he hadn't ran in the 100 outdoors since, what, 2021? Since the Olympics? He'd been hurt all two years, practically, almost. Well, the indoors, he'd been killing it. But again, like, the outdoors, he's been struggling. His injuries just been hurting him. Since 2021 outdoor season. Because we forget, even post-Olympics, 2021 indoor season, he was still killing it. He beat Christian Cole in the 60 meters finals. Which, I mean, Cole himself was coming off of a, a, a year-long suspension of his own. So, you know, he was pretty rusty too. But still, beating him in the 60 meters is insane. Christian Cole is like the unprecedented greatest starter and greatest 60 meter sprinter ever. For so So for him to beat him, yeah. That's crazy, but then, you know, he just got hurt constantly and outdoors. And then this indoor season, he's rusty still. He wasn't even the fastest in his own country. Speaking of that, that guy who's beat him multiple times in, in the 60-meter dash indoors, he completely cut down his personal best. Did pat, didn't do half bad in 100 from that, uh, I guess another previous Diamond League meet. So who knows, he might actually be legit good. Just out of nowhere. Because his personal best last year was 10-4. Now it's like a 10-1 something. Out of nowhere. But yeah, like, back to Lamont Marcel. Again, he's just been hurt. Like, and I don't know if it's his style of training. I've seen his training videos. They're insane. Like, there's some stuff I've never seen people do in Shaq. Like, cartoonist things. And maybe he's over working himself. I don't know. But, like, it's just going to be hard to get back into this era. Because so many people... Not a lot of people are running, like, sub 9.8 at all, but so many are running sub 10. It's going to be hard to just get back to what he was and stay on top. But, yeah, not surprised that Noel was won in the same race, but, again, this shows this man's ready. Like, he's back on top. Like, in the previous, during the Olympics, when he didn't go as good as he thought he was, in 100, he was struggling. He made the finals, but he was, what, like, 7th, 6th or whatever, I, I think, maybe even 8th in, in the actual, like, Olympic finals, in the Olympic qualifier finals for the men's 100 for the U.S. Now he's beating Erdogan Almanyala, like, the, the world leader in 100. He almost beat Christian Coleman, what, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, no allows, and this is not even a, sh- a strong race, like, the 200 is. Yeah, he's ready. I'm not saying he's going to break the world record. But I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Now, the woman's 200. Gabby Thomas is back. She has been kind of, not yeah, kind of rusty all year. Again, injuries. She's had injuries for the last 
two years now. But yeah, she's back. She, Abby Steiner had been undefeated in all her 200 meter races this year, both indoor and out. And Gabby just dominated the race, ran away with it. Preloaded field. Abby Steiner, Marie Jose Talou, Dina Asher Smith. Like, this is a loaded field. And Jenna Prandini, Tamara Clark, and Gabby Thomas ran away with it. Showed, like, yeah, and she looked how she, how she celebrated at the end. Felt like someone who was relieved, like, yeah, I'm back. And when she's on point, we forget she, her personal best is, what, a 21 6 one? one of the fastest times ever. When she's on point, she's a gold medal contender. Now, is it the big race and the like? With the sprinters, was probably the women's four hundred. That was the most hyped up thing. You, I wasn't surprised by the result. Like it would have been disrespectful to say that McLaughlin would just come in and just win automatically. This is still a whole new discipline. For people who don't know who Sydney McLaughlin is, Sydney McLaughlin Lavrone, hope I'm pronouncing that last part right. She's been, she's the goat when it comes to women's 400 meter hurdles. Like, she smashed world records to levels that are absurd. As said before, like last episode, I said that she, like, her winning gold medal winning time would have gotten her, what, a, a top five in the, the 400 meter finals flat without hurdles? That's crazy. Like, yeah, what she's done are things that felt almost unhuman. But she's been doing this since she was in high school. Running grown adult times for like 15 years old. So it's not like it's just like a, a thing that just happened. No, she's been since like... <laughs> since she's been a teenager, being, she's been running inhuman times. So a lot of people thought, okay, yeah, she could come in and break the world record and everything in the quarter mile. First off, that quarter mile world record is insane. I don't know. It's not as... Like the woman's 800 meter world record, I don't know if that's ever getting broken because, I mean, come on. People who know, like, how it was going on in Eastern Europe and everything back then, like, yeah. There, there was some extra stuff involved. Not saying there isn't extra stuff involved with a lot of these other countries, because there are. But, like, across the board, like, systemically, it was that bad. And if you look, like, come on. Yeah, if you, if you look at how they're running, and it, yeah, it, no. And look at her times across the board, no. Like, you couldn't do that clean. But, like, even without that, at first, it looked like she could actually do it. That first 300 was, what, second fastest ever for a first 300 in the quarter mile? It, yeah, it was looking crazy. First off, not getting off topic here, but y'all, those weren't shoes. She wasn't running in flats. Those were just very small spikes. So, no, she <laughs> she wasn't doing that fast in, in, in regular running shoes. No, that would been insane. Like, I don't even know if that's even possible, honestly. But... Yeah, getting back on topic, like, that first 300, she was going crazy. And then the last 100, you know, I don't know if there's a strategy or technique or if she just got tired. Probably both. But, yeah, like, the the winner, again, she broke the meet record. Remember Lady Paulino, I'm hoping I pronounced that first name right, first name right, for Dominican Republic. Again, she's probably the favorite to win gold in the women's 400. She deserves respect. It, it would be really disrespectful to say, like, that she shouldn't win that race. Or that she wasn't even a favorite. Because she's been running fast times all year. It, yeah. So I'm not surprised she won. Uh, she's still the gold medal favorite. 
and it's gonna be a challenge. Even with how good McLaughlin did on her first race, it's still gonna be a challenge for her to to try to beat her for gold. And Salva Eid Nasser from uh, Bahrain again, like she's obviously was the world champion in 2019. Was I'm correct? I mean, I believe I'm correct. The fourth fastest uh, women's personal best ever in the 400 meter dash like out of nowhere and again she had the year off because the whereabouts issue so she came back this year she's again started out rusty but she's quickly gotten back into in the place and yeah she's third place but again she was off for a whole year so for her to come back and run this fast already like again this woman's forge is going to be pretty stacked so and shout out to Anna Hall a, a, a heptathlete, she did the women's high jump, didn't do that last place there. And then, did the women's 400 meter dash, and she didn't do that last place there either. Like, to do a high jump and then go in, I ran track in high school, there's different spikes, different everything for uh, jumping and sprinting. To do from, like, it's what they do for a long jump, because, you know, you have not similar sprinting tape, but at least you sprint somewhere down there, down the, the down the path to get to the, like a high jump to 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 a quarter mile that's completely different that's insane like that's very impressive if you don't even if you don't win and to do it as a heptathlete you're not even that's not even like your strong suit her strong suit individually is probably the quarter mile hurdler hurdles so for her to go from the 400 meter dash and the high jump and not end down in last place in a diamond league meet that's Props to her. Like, she's my heptathlon favorite to win gold. And now we go to the big five events that happened all distance. But again, they're they're so crazy. Like the headlines for this race afterwards, or these five races, all records broken. Jacob Ingebrigtsen from Norway. Norway is not known for their distance events at all. Like, if you think of Shackerfield in Norway, you, you usually think of, like, throwing. And even that's kind of rare, honestly. But, like, it, when you think of a, 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 a northern European country in Shackerfield, you, you probably think historically Finland. You know, because back in the day, way back, like, in the 20s and 30s and 40s, they used to dominate distance events. But, like, you don't think of, like, Norway. This man's been on a legendary run the last two years. And it's continuing now. Like, he's the favorite to win his events, too, this year in gold. And he decided, I'm not going to even do, like, a, a you know, an official event. I'm going to do the, the, the two miles. Broke the world record in two miles. De- destroyed it. Like, he's special. Like, he's a very special talent. He's, a, he's very fast for a distance runner, especially that high up in distance. And so that helps him get an advantage at the end it he just runs away he just breaks away from everyone else like it is hard to keep up with him he's very long for a distance runner it's like he's yeah it's just norway i don't know what type of goal between him and the, and the and the 40 meter hurdler i don't know what's going on in norway but they're a bit of a, a golden generation like a mini golden generation going on right now in tracker field the women's 5,000 meters is the other one world record like number two for faith Kip Yigan. Two world records and two different events 
in like a span of like a week. Like it's getting crazy for her. Like she could do the double. She could break through a record in a double. Although, again, doing it in those two events would be insanely difficult because it's how far the distance is. But still, like she ran faster in the other event she went to work in, she ran faster than the men who won gold in the Olympics in 2016, if I'm correct. Like that's crazy. <laughs> like, and then she just runs and comes in and breaks a new world record in the women's 5,000 meters. Like, another generational talent. Like the distance events are Keely Hodgkins, Hodgkinson in the women's 800. Another one. I don't know if I'd call it a favorite. I wouldn't because Athing Moo exists. So I, as long as Athing Moo is still running track and still wants to do the 800, she'll always be the favorite in the 800. But she... A 155.77? National record? Destroyed the field? Like, that's pretty close to what Athing Moo's personal best is. That's very impressive. And she all like she didn't beat Athing Moo, but she came close in, in 2021. So who knows? Like in 20 yeah, in 2022. My bad. My apologies. 2022. So who knows? How like I'm not saying she's not gonna beat Athing Moo, I don't think, but like she's gonna give us a competition, which is a good thing. Lamecha Gurma, Ethiopia, world record in the three thousand meter strip steeplechase in men. Wow. Destroyed the field. The next fastest was 809.91 from Japan, who broke the national record, dominated it. <laughs> but the next fastest person was what? 17 seconds slower? 17 seconds. If you know anything about track and field, even in a distance event, winning a race by 17 seconds. So, yeah, like that, that was just uh, 17 seconds. Like, Again, like I said before, like for a person who's ran track, or people who've ran track, 17 seconds in any event, that is astronomical how large that distance is, how large that gap is between you and a person you beat. So for him to run that fast, in 3,000 meter steeplechase is probably, to me, in track and field, like if you're running from what I've seen, uh, that's, the diff that's the toughest one. Like, the quarter mile hurdles is pretty brutal. The quarter mile and 800 are pretty brutal. But, man, like, I, am I remember seeing in high school when they ran the 3,000-meter steeplechase. And so many of those kids literally just ran out the race, fell over. Like, they looked half dead after, like, they looked destroyed by that race. That looked like a nightmare. Like, I would never even want to touch that. So, for you to run that well, that effortlessly like that is scary. Is that that's almost unhuman? So yeah, that uh, that track that track and field meet, Paris Diamond League meet, one of the greatest Diamond League meets of all time. One of the greatest track and field meets, honestly, especially for distance ever. Just a crazy, insane <laughs> track and field week and weekend, and we still got more to go. Like I said tonight, Britton Wilson probably. The, the, the poster child of, of collegiate track and field. Like, another one who's a special talent who's going to be running crazy times in the quarter mile or quarter mile hurdles, hurdles whichever one she wants to run, she's going to be part of that group too. 
like this year after after this outdoor NCAA season. She's she's gonna be the headliner for tonight. And let's see if she can break a, a in a span of what I think great what thirty minutes or twenty minutes. She's gotta go from like the quarter mile to the quarter mile hurdles or something like either way. If she could somehow win the national championship in both in that short amount of span, like that short amount of time span. Again, I had never seen that happen. Like a thirty minutes between those two events. Like, yeah. Whenever she just picks one in in the pros, she's gonna put up crazy times. Now, on to the next thing: pro wrestling, the G one climax, the, the, one of the big events in all of professional wrestling. You know, the for New Japan Pro Wrestling. This is one of the two or three biggest events. Maybe Dominion's pretty big, but Wrestle Kingdom's like the main one for them. But G1 Climax is it's the biggest tournament in all pro wrestling. Now, I know a lot of people don't follow Japanese wrestling or wrestling outside of WWE in general for the last 20 or so years. But to me, like I said before, like my dad used to watch all three. And as a little kid, I'd, I'd just be looking at it too including ECW and WCW, not just WWF back in the day. But uh, me, like, I just, I'm a guy that if I'm into anything, I look deep into it. I don't just, like, look at, like, the basic things. Like, I, like, get hyper-focused on it. Like, I'll research everything. And so I, I looked up everything from Jap- Japanese to, to Mexican to British. Heck, even something like Australian that's been popping off lately. Like, I, I look at all types of pro wrestling. Canadian, not just American, not just WWE. I look at, like I said before, I've looked at Jim Crockett and AWA and, like, yeah. I don't just look at one promotion. But, you know, with Japan, they've been going hard with pro wrestling since, what, the 50s? Some of, some of the most televised ma- matches and events in pro wrestling history have happened in Japan. A lot of the greatest wrestlers of all time are from Japan. Like, probably the most innovative uh, promotion in history is probably All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling in the 70s and 80s. A lot of the moves they did back then are moves that a lot of people do now for the last 30 or so years, honestly. But, yeah, focusing back on New Japan in the G1 Climax, since I'm pretty sure, like, uh, not everyone knows about Japanese wrestling, the G1 Climax is it's pretty much like a, a, a round-robin tournament where it's separating the pools and like the winners of the, the two main pools they pretty much wrestle in a final to decide that year's winner and the tournament lasts about four weeks as it is now and the winner of each pool is determined by a point system again round robin two points for a victory one point for a draw time limit only and zero points for a loss obviously so yeah like the winner of this event goes on to main event Wrestle Kingdom, which is like the big event in New Japan and probably the biggest event overall in all of Japanese pro wrestling for, to challenge for the their world championship, which is the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. So, like, this event's pretty big, obviously. Uh, this year is special. It's very it's interesting. Like, on paper, it's not as big of names as past ones, but... Like, it, there's a lot of new young names. Like, uh, I think almost half the field is new, if I'm correct. 
it, it a lot of surprises again new japan's going through a bit of a youth movement so it makes sense but uh let's see here shota muno like there's some red narita like you see more people you might not know who these are but these are big names in, in japanese wrestling now a lot of the hot new yaks like uh you sushi again i absolutely loved him loved his performance at, at dominion it was awesome uh, and, and two guys who aren't even a part of promotion. Eddie Kingston from AEW. Again, you can watch AEW on TBS and on TNT on Wednesdays and Saturdays and Fridays. And uh, Keito Kiyomiya. I hope I pronounced that right. From Pro Wrestling Noah. Another big Japanese promotion in, in, in pro wrestling. So overall, yeah, it's going to be a, it's a big deal. Like, we're... They're talking about, like, it's big enough to spread across other promotions. Like, this, yeah, it's the biggest tournament by a landslide, actually. And, and even, like, past winners. Like, you look at, uh, in the past, people like, uh, legends like, uh, Antonio Inoki, Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant. Like, people like that have won this event. Like, yeah, like, legends. And for, like people that people who don't watch pro wrestling know who these guys are, they've won this event. So yeah, like it, back then it didn't headline Wrestle Kingdom because that's more recently, but still it was still like a tournament that was similar to now. So yeah, like even as far back as the seventies, that that's just how like this is the go-to tournament in pro wrestling. But uh, yeah, Shingo Tagagi, I think. I think it'll be him versus Will Ospreay. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's a safe pick because they'll tear the house down. They've always torn the house down whenever they wrestle. Amazing matches between the two of them. They have some of the best chemistry I've ever seen in pro wrestling. So it makes sense. And have Shingo win and have him face off against the current world champion, Sonata. They have a long history. Uh, one that I'll, I'll probably talk about in a later episode. But it makes perfect sense story in my eyes. If you know about... New Japan, you watch it regularly, it would make a lot of sense. It would be a really good match. It'd be something different, which is something that New Japan's been doing all year, booking-wise. Something completely different all across the board. So, it, you know, I'd be really happy about that. And these last two things in sports, going back to sports, I mean, I guess you consider, prof- some people consider pro wrestling sports, I consider it more of an art form. But, yeah. Going back to sports, uh, the Stanley Cup, I... Florida Panthers avoided the, the, the dreaded 0-3. Great win. Can they do it again? Probably. Again, like I said, hockey's a weird sport. It's very... It's not like basketball or... Like, you know, you're down 3-1. Oh, that's it. No. Teams can easily come back from 3-1. They got blown out two straight games. They just came back. They're like, yep, we're back. 2-1. It's a series again. And if Florida... They can win game four. I wouldn't be surprised. So, yeah, like... Oh, it's not lost for Florida Panthers. It's, it's a series again. That's how hockey goes. That's what makes it so entertaining. Is that it's never safe. <laughs> and no, no series is safe in hockey. That's from what I've learned watching it for years. But uh, this sport, Champions League, finals. This kind of connects back to something I've talked about in the past about how money is hurting sports. Man City, if they win, it's halftime right now. At the time of this recording. And it's 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 zero zero. So 
there's a chance they could actually lose somehow to Inter Milan, which would be pretty crazy, actually, when you look at the, the talent differential there. But if Man City were to win, I mean, that would be the first one of, of those clubs that I said in the past, like, that had an okay history, but extra money boost boost them up to, to, to unprecedented levels for them. Them, PSG, all those Red Bull teams, like like Red Bull Salzburg and teams like clubs like that. Like, yeah, if Man City becomes the first one to break through and actually win a, a, a Champions League? Wow. Yeah, that, that would be... Because they've already dominated domestically. A lot of these clubs have. But they've never been able to break through and, and win this. This is a whole other monster. Doing that would... It would, like, it could be the the breaking point that could lead to a lot of these clubs completely taking over football just because of the money advantage they have. But you never know. They could lose. I mean, it's tied, so who knows? They they could honestly lose today. Wouldn't surprise me. But, yeah, that that's just an ongoing thing I've, I've talked about in the past about money and, and how it's affecting sports. So, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, check out that uh, first episode. Check out the other episode I had about uh, Live Golf. Again, they focus on this stuff. This is a continuation of an ongoing thing in sports. That's not going to go away anytime soon. As long as money continues to control the world how it has in the last several years, yeah, this is going to keep on getting bigger and bigger. And now my final thing, my big time picks. Not just one, but multiple of them. All of all combat sports. I haven't talked about martial arts and like that at all, actually. But I watch a lot of that, too. Uh, boxing, Teofimo Lopez versus Josh Taylor. Now, I would say on paper you could say that Lopez might be the slight favorite, but how he's been boxing lately, just everything going on behind the scenes, I don't know. Josh Taylor is not a—he's very good, obviously. Really good. So if he were to beat— Teofimo Lopez, it wouldn't surprise me. I could see him actually being maybe the slight favorite. Just because he Teofimo hasn't been he hasn't exactly been boxing at the quality that he was in the past. Like it, it, it and we all know why. He's everything going on behind the scenes is in general with him. And some of the controversial things he's said recently, dumb things, I personally think, but yeah. Like, like, there's, there's a lot going on there. And like I said, Josh Taylor's already somewhat of a... I mean, he's undefeated for a reason. Guy's no slouch. Look at the people he's beaten. Regis Progress? Beating him is insanely impressive. Close fight, but yeah. Like, that is no joke. Some guy that I wouldn't be surprised if he could beat Teofimo Lopez. So if, if Josh Taylor beats him, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, I could, like I said, I could see him actually being somewhat, somewhat of a betting favorite in that one. So that's, so overall, you know what? I'm going to say, I think Josh Taylor beats Teofimo Lopez tonight. So that's one, that's one of my big time picks. Other one is UFC. Now, the UFC this year hasn't been as entertaining as past years. And there have been some other mixed martial arts promotions that have been putting up some pretty fun stuff and overall just martial arts promotions in general like uh one the fc's been awesome like you've you've had some some great things like so just overall generally entertaining stuff especially one but like 
UFC, as, as bad as some of their cards have been this year, and they've been very bad for what their standards are. But for this card, uh, overall, it's not, again, it's not that strong, but at all, really. But what are the two main events? I'll, I'll go over the two main events. Benel Dariush versus Charles Oliveira. Overall, Benel is the, 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 the favorite, slight favorite. I don't know about that. Charles Oliveira is a monster, one of the greatest lightweights we've ever seen in UFC. In the UFC. Or, like, might be in all mixed martial arts overall. Like, he only lost to what? Islam? But Islam is a beast. Like, he's pretty much, they could, they, they call him, what, Baby Habib? He's about, I mean, he's as good as Khabib was in his prime. Looks like he, he's on his way to being that. So, him losing to him like that, it's not like, that shouldn't be a thing to, to, to say, like, okay, yeah, Oliver might lose this one. Who knows? This is a tough one. I don't know. I really don't know, actually. Like, this is a toss-up. I'm not a betting man. But if I was, I don't know if I'd bet on an outright favorite, for, uh, outright winner in this fight. I don't know. That, that, this, this seems like a big risk. At least not a lot of money. Uh, I might give the edge to Oliveira. Just because Darius, yeah, his ground game, like, takedowns and all, like, but Oliveira, again, like, his BJJ is insane. Like, his submission ability is just crazy. And and I think he might have the slight edge, even though Darius has more power, I think he has a slight edge in overall stand-up to me. As for the other fight, the women's, the main event, women's bantamweight, Nunez versus Aldana, I think this goes the way any other Nunez fight goes. I think this is domination in favor of Nunez. Like, Amanda Nunez is the greatest women's mixed martial artist ever. Without question. And it's going to be proven again tonight. So, uh, that's it for this episode. Uh, longest one I've done yet. Over 40 minutes. But, uh, with me, you never know. Like, like I said, like, I, I would just stay tuned. You never know. Like, some will be short, some will be sh long. It is what it is with me. But, uh, that's it for today, y'all. Bye, y'all.